1: It's every mystery that has not been solved. Every question that has not been answered. Are ghosts real? Are we alone in the universe? Why does every car dealership have those giant inflatable wind puppets out the front? Charlie Clawson and Ben McClay are here to investigate. This is the Unexplained Explained. Ah uh, yes, Ben. It's my pleasure to call into session uh, the third meeting of the Northeast Australian Paranormal Society. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. How I feel you? like there are some kind of like G-men onto us. There are some government operatives who've been listening to this show and trying to shut us down. Because what a series of calamities mm-hmm. <laughs> that led up to the recording oh, of this Christ. show. First of all, even though we are the Northeast Australian Paranormal Society, I am located in New South Wales, and Ben is located in Queensland. And it's that Mm -hmm. wonderful time of the year when Australia is split along two lines. Well, the east coast of Australia is split along two lines during Daylight Saving. And um, I forgot about Daylight Saving. So um, I got to the uh, recording session an hour early and didn't know where you were. And then you reminded me. And then what happened after that?
2: Oh, I got locked out of my house, um, which briefly threw me for a loop extremely uh, because I tried to get through my front door and my uh, deadlock was closed and I'd never really used the deadlock. And that was, the that, that's one. where
1: my conspiracy brain's going, is that you said mm-hmm. it's never happened before. You've never been locked out. And then you are like, there were some deadlock. men at there fixing the smoke mm-hmm. alarms in your apartment building.
2: Well, supposedly. I know I got a notice of entry sometime in the last couple of weeks, right. but I didn't actually double-check that it was today. So there's every chance that there were G-men in yeah, here. Uh, trying
1: to shut this down for exposing the truth.
2: I don't know how deeply they've infiltrated into smoke alarm solutions, <laughs> but I see those guys driving around everywhere, and now I'm starting to think it's not a coincidence. That's right. You
1: need to get a bug-sweeping wand. You just need to go around your apartment just and see if there's any recording devices, apart from the one you're talking into, of
2: course. Well, yeah, other than the small amount of microphones and stuff that I have. <laughs> Be a really good, if you were trying to be like a federal agency or, you know, some sort of para-government agency doing this sort of thing. The smoke alarm guy is a good one because you can just basically go into any rental and be like, ah, oh, your real estate didn't send the bloody thing out, did they? They do this all the time. Anyway, I'll just swap these batteries out. I mean, put the gas meter guys of
1: kind of got the same... The gas reader person's got the same kind of um, free pass, True. don't they? They've got like a triple A pass. I've never questioned once someone knocking on my door saying, can I go read your media? I'm like, yeah, well, you're wearing a,
2: you're wearing a shirt. <laughs> she yeah. must be legit. <laughs> Some sort of logo on there. And don't use this as practical instructions on how to rob someone's yeah. house. That's not the spirit in which this is being no, given. No, no, no. Only use it if you're investigating... Um, Paranormal investigators are getting too close to the truth.
1: Well, it's uh, appropriate what, that we're discussing paranoia about the government because uh, the subject we're going to discuss today, because they sort of do go hand in hand a bit, is uh, UFOs. Mm. And uh, I have been fascinated. and this is a word when we decided to do the unexplained explained. And I sort of have credited you as uh, having the largest private collection of paranormal uh, literature in at least Northeast Australia. At least. Possibly the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> you said that it's predominantly UFO literature.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I feel like this is the episode that you have been building towards for the last two weeks. Just hasn't been a big build up. <laughs> but I would say building towards my entire, entire life, life. Okay. more or less in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so tell me about what is it, Well, let me actually, I'll start with myself because you're going to have more to say than than me. When it comes to paranormal subject matter, UFOs have never really captured my imagination. And I feel like it's maybe because it's probably the most acceptable of all the paranormal interests. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan's Mm -hmm. into UFOs and you'll have like legitimate kind of uh, other legitimate people sort of talk about experience with UFOs. and, And there's also that kind of fallback of, well, It's an unidentified flying object, so it could be from anywhere. And I think it's a bit of a lame attempt to believe in something paranormal. You've given yourself an out that it could be legitimate. So for that reason, it didn't really capture my imagination. But tell me what your perspective on UFOs is.
2: Well, that's very interesting that you say that, actually, because I was going to say more or less the exact opposite, but as... Well, no, the exact same thing, but is the reason why I like them the most is because they're the least goofy of all yeah. of them. Well, that's, but like, that, yeah, that's. Yeah, right. Okay, I get you. <laughs> if you're believing in ghosts, you may as well believe in werewolves. Yeah. And if you're believing in werewolves, what the fuck are we doing? here, yeah. you know. Whereas UFOs, there's something because all of the paranormal stuff is meant to be kind of sinister, right? Or at least it has an air of being sinister or scary in some way, unnatural for the most yeah. part. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whereas. UFOs are there's of this so much- earth or this realm, or maybe, who knows?
2: Yeah. They, I don't know. There's just something more ironically grounded about them. Whereas, yeah, with ghosts, you're like, ah, oh, I don't know if there's really like someone having a Victorian cotillion like in your kitchen, you know, once a month or whatever. There's, I don't know, something about aliens that's, there's more possibility there as well. So like, Ghosts and all that are sort of shackled to our own history in this way of, like, it's going to be a Victorian ghost or it's someone from this spooky house was haunted a couple hundred years ago or whatever. Aliens can sort of be whatever the fuck. And, like, our mythos mythos of what that is has been evolving. Well, you evolving.
1: say mythos, I say yourthos.
2: <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, so it depends on your perspective. It, they've been evolving as our level of technology has changed. You know, like... Yes. Nineteen fifties flying saucers all looked like the sort of uh age of the atom B movie science fiction sort of hubcap stuff, mm-hmm. right? All those photos, you look at them now and you're like, That's fucking stupid. <laughs> They're not making flying saucers out of stainless <laughs> yeah. steel. Like there's just no <laughs> way. Yeah,
1: exactly. It looks like a Studebaker. It's the you were it's like it's the spacecraft <laughs> equivalent of a Studebaker. It just doesn't look right by modern standards. Yeah.
2: That's like those weird uh, all chrome airstream style burger yeah. games and not what they're gonna be like traveling <laughs> over here in. And then we've gotten beyond that and now we're like, oh no, they're these very sort of more elusive, sort of dimensional things, mm. like the the one that's that uh the the US Navy released, the one that was just footage from the F L I R or whatever it is, the um infrared imaging stuff where they're not trying to be like, oh, this is like a solid craft. They're like, we just don't know what this is. This is something completely beyond our experience. And then all of the UFO theory stuff has changed as well, that like all of that sort of stuff, the high strangeness, they call it, where it's something completely extra-dimensional. It's not even a physical object, but when our stupid three-dimensional brains perceive it, we try and translate it into something that we can understand. So I like it. something that gets... Cooler, essentially. It's getting refined. Ghosts peaked at their level of coolness in, like, the 1850s, and then we haven't really added anything to our understanding of ghosts ever since. That's true. Except for, like, EVPs and stuff. I I watched
1: the uh, first ep of the new uh, Rick and Morty, and there was a good, like, just a throwaway gag they do at the start where they need to get someone out of their house so they – so Rick comes up with a plan to create a ghost to haunt them. So he creates a robot. He uploads some business but stops it. So the robot's left with unfinished business. Then he executes the robot and then a ghost <laughs> comes out of the robot. It's a robot ghost. I'm like, oh, there you go. <laughs> That's the sort of modern yeah. take on the on the ghost story.
2: I don't know if you ever worked at a supermarket before. I feel like everybody has in their lives. But one of the, the first things they used to get you to do when you worked at Coles was on like your very, very first shift after your first bit of training, they give you like, a list of like 50 different grocery items and you just have to walk around the store, find where they are and tick them off. And I remember doing that at the age of like 15 and being like, what if I died halfway through this and this was my unfinished business and I'm just fucking stuck in this Coles Pie Alba in beautiful Harvey Bay, Queensland for the rest of my unnatural afterlife. I've often said
1: that if I was to die in this house I'm living in now, at night you would walk past the kitchen and you'd just see a phantom version of me just loading and unloading the dishwasher. <laughs> Because that is all I fucking do every day, all day, is load and then unload the dishwasher.
2: It does seem like it's um that at least the ghosts we experience are very selective about whose unfinished business is cool enough to keep them in the realm of the material. It plane. is true.
1: Like I know we're talking about UFOs, but let's stay on ghosts for a second because you bring up an interesting point. <laughs> we don't, you don't really see like why aren't ghosts ever doing mundane things? Like surely we've had cell phones or, or cell phones mobile phones now for 20 years why aren't we seeing like some like bored teenager like crossing the road <laughs> looking at their phone and not oh, seeing that a truck's about to hit them you know what i mean like they're they they have not updated that they don't have any signifiers you know apart from clothing and stuff but like where are the mobile phones where's the mundane activity yeah. why is it always think- like they're sending a message or something
2: that's kind of part of the appeal, I guess, of like UFOs is that we can keep them contemporary. It's very hard to make a modern ghost seem cool. Like yeah. if you go out into your like, you know, you're in your fucking horrible studio apartment that's the only thing you can afford and there's a ghost of a guy like <laughs> cramped on the couch using his laptop, he's like, this sucks, man. <laughs> yeah. That's not fucking spooky. Yeah. That's just depressing. You're just seeing like something that's too close to your own life. Ghosts need to be removed from that, whereas UFOs, They're always, you know, in vogue. They're always cool. I
1: actually went to Reddit and um, went to a couple of their UFO boards and found this guy had written this. It's a three-stage essay. What's the name of it? I can't remember. He did name it. Um, Which he starts off with a a quote from The the Matrix, uh, which is- (laughs) Oh, fuck (laughs) you. Every time you've heard someone say they saw a ghost or an angel, every story you've ever heard about vampires, werewolves, or aliens, it's a system assimilating some program that's something they're not supposed to be doing. So he uses that quote to set up this idea that we're living in a simulated reality and that when we are seeing UFOs, it is part of that transcendent consciousness sort of peeking behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. That is the, the interdimensional thing that you mentioned before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love that he's taken that quote. That was just an excuse for them to put werewolves and vampires <laughs> yeah. in the Matrix Reloaded with no with explanation whatsoever. With switchblades. Oh, the dreadlock ghosts! I remember being what 14 years old and being like, "That is the coolest <laughs> shit I've <laughs> ever seen in my life." These like Estonian DJ twins or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, terrible. But yeah, that's that's sort of the common thing at the moment. Is they're uh, lumping everything. Werewolves, ghosts, fairies, what have you, as UFO phenomenon, that they're these extradimensional visitations, and like, you know, some fourteenth century Celt sees one of these and they don't have the language in their brain to be like, that's a flying saucer. They're like, oh my God, that's an elf. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's one of the fair ones, and they've broken through into our realm. Like that's how their brain has made sense of it. So it's good. It's like a grand unified theory of the paranormal, which is convenient because otherwise you end up with a lot of very contradictory nonsense.
1: I um, don't know if I mentioned this before, but um, I'm, I'm trying to make myself smarter by reading books by smart people and it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm reading one about theoretical physics at the moment and the 10% of it that I'm my monkey brain is vaguely understanding is that, Ben, this might come as a shock to you, but the universe is enormous. Like It's really <laughs> huge and vast, vast distances. And When you realize how big it is, it is a miracle that we're actually getting anywhere near the moon and let alone discussing getting to Mars. And the idea that, like, there's other kind of um, carbon-based life forms out there who are building, you know, rockets or whatever that can traverse these enormous distances just with propulsion, I just can't fathom that. Like, wormholes and all that kind of stuff and the bending of space-time – I can get behind like that's something that makes sense there is a basic kind of scientific fundamental to that but the idea that we've just got like fast alien spaceships independence day spaceships that are just traveling vast distances i just do not understand
2: yeah it doesn't really bear out but like there was that whole the way popular pseudoscientific thought about aliens went was uh what's that name the astronomer not an astronomer. I don't know. Someone who proposed the Drake equation. I think his name was Drake. someone it was the Drake. Drake. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> he, right. He said we started on Earth, now we're here. <laughs> oh, fuck, there it is. <laughs> uh, he was the one that was like, well, these are the number of planets we have. This is what we think the likelihood of life occurring is, you know, based on not particularly modern science or whatever and being like, well, yep, yeah, there's absolutely definitely life elsewhere in the universe. But the more you sort of look at it, even if the the conditions for life are Relatively common, which we think we definitely don't think. Uh, God, there were so many negatives in that sentence. We think there's a fair chance that the conditions that arose that allowed life to form on Earth could happen in other places as well. But for them to then get to like technology using and uh, interplanetary travel, but to do it at around the same time as us, but also to do it to be within the very, 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 very tiny locus around our galaxy where sub-light speed travel could get you to us while we're still here. It's like freakishly unlikely. It's crazy unlikely. Like if we are going to meet like – I fully believe the universe is so fucking huge. Like just it's – Mind-bogglingly big. you think you've big. got the <laughs> – we, we literally cannot think of it. Like even, what there's 400 million planets in our solar system. No, sorry. 400 million solar systems in our galaxy. Like that's just, that's too much to think about on its own. It there gives me anxiety. Galaxies.
1: You can go to YouTube and you can look up videos that show you like the, like oh, no. the, the proportions yeah. of the universe and it, it crushes your soul. (laughs) Like your sense of meaninglessness just like overflows and it actually does stress me out. And they not because I've noticed because now the algorithm is feeding me all these, Hey man, have you ever thought how fucking insignificant you are? Hey man, you're tiny. This speck of dust is the earth. And like, I'm actually getting goosebumps talking about it because I think it's, that's one of my great fears is like, I don't really like being at sea. Like every time I've gone on a boat or whatever, I don't like not being able to see land and it's, Mm-hmm. Not that I'm scared about sharks or anything, although I am. It's more about the isolation. Like I hate the idea of nothingness, just being surrounded by nothingness. And that's yeah, what we are though.
2: I think I um, I have one time in my life been uh, high enough that I think I've managed to fully, really hold in my mind that idea of how tidy we are. And that was a very terrifying five minutes of being like, "Oh, that's not good. I've got to turn Cosmos off now because <laughs> this is making me very uncomfortable." But like, yeah, we are—we're just in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't think that's how alien life will, if it comes to us. I fully believe that there's, you know, there are jellyfish on some other planet, planet somewhere or whatever. You know, yeah. yeah, some weird blobs hovering around. Who knows if they're intelligent, but they're sure as fuck not getting in an Independence Day-style giant spaceship and then, like, knocking on our front door. They've got to get here. Donnie Darko, insultingly oversimplified theory (laughs) of wormhole style. No, no, it's Event Horizon. It's punching the
1: pencil through the folded paper. That's the one that they all use now.
2: Which I think I internalized and believed. Well, I mean, not believed, but I used that as my example for, like, my entire understanding of space ever since i first saw that movie uh far too young as a teen well i've that's only just movie, getting though. grasped,
1: getting my head around the fact that like space spa- like space is a th- a thing like it's not like oxygen like air like we pass through like space is matter you know and that's all that and the idea that space can be bent and all that kind of stuff like mm. and it's taken me to my mid 40s to understand and comprehend what that actually means. And, and that's what this book I'm reading at the moment is trying to explain to me is like, yeah, that's what dark matter is. There's actually more in the universe that we can't see than we can.
2: Yeah, that's where like a tiny – visible matter is like a tiny fraction of that as well. I was listening to a very good um, episode of the podcast, Ologies, uh, where the host was talking to astrophysicist Katie hey, Do I not plug other better podcasts on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> We're different. Let's not say better. Okay, different. Uh, Smarter. But yeah th- – sort of going through those explanations of space time, they're like bowling ball on a trampoline style ones where you're talking about how everything and, and like it's once you get those popular explanations, I feel like they put me 90% of the way to understanding something, but they're not really being able to, apply it i can't visualize
1: the, the the minutiae of what they're talking about when they talk about photons and electrons and this and that and i'm like and they they say it so matter-of-factly they state it as if yeah, you know what a photon is I'm like no i don't fucking know like does it have a shape does it how does it move how do you-? all i know for certain is that it's a wave yeah. hey wait a damn second <laughs> it's like they smash something up they look at it with a tiny microscope and they can count the how how does how is this possible and like this is a string does it something looks like a string really I just it just it blows my mind which is I guess a kind of long-winded way to get back to the subject at hand which mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. UFOs give us some sense of meaning right or yes it's less scary to think that maybe well you know the universe is vast but one day we'll be able to travel from one side to the other
2: also it gives us a very um there's a sort of implied sense that there's someone else out there who knows what's going on. Yep. Like ah, in yes. a, there's a higher order situation. This is our moment where the the Vulcans are landing on planet Earth and they're being like, don't interfere with them. All right, we're gonna we're gonna. <laughs> you finally invented hyperspace travel, so now we're going to let you in on a few little secrets. Yeah. You're gonna want full communism. <laughs> uh, you're gonna start wearing body suits, yeah. uh, and we're gonna get you set up with some dope spaceships, <laughs> like.
1: Trust us, the okay. hollow
2: Dirk is going to blow your fucking mind. <laughs> if you guys love YouTube, you're going to fucking love this. <laughs> but, yeah, that sense that, like, other people have been here before us, uh, they figured everything out. They're probably wiser. They've probably got a bunch of – they're probably going to solve a bunch of our problems, you know, mm. medically and scientifically and all that. Uh, or you're one of the people who just believe that they have these, like, you know, solar system-spanning empires. They have all this incredible level of technology. They found us, and all they want to do is just dick around with people. That's it. Nothing else. They just want to fuck with a couple of us just for fun. They want to terrify a few families in Kansas. And then... Go back home,
1: and then I guess the most, the last sort of interpretation, or one of the other interpretations of UFOs, which is probably the least interesting, is the military It's a military prototypes. That's the other thing that oh, it's the yeah. which is the, is the least imaginative of all the explanations.
2: I mean, on one sense, I find it, uh, it it's nominally cool if like China has invented a type of craft that can do non ballistic motion or whatever, like these instantaneous accelerations and. Crazy corners without killing the people inside. That's dope. But also, I don't know. If it turns out it's just, oh, they invented these drones that can go really fast, mm. I'll be like, well, that sucks. That's not a fun mystery. That's like military technology has always been slightly ahead of what we think we know about. There's no, there's no pizzazz to that. Yeah. There's,
1: there's no pizzazz to it. And also, it's like, it's, it's the, it's the crediting of uh, military organizations, you know, as being uh, as being so good and so well organized to hide this thing from us, but then occasionally to fuck up so badly <laughs> that you have countless websites and blogs. Like, I feel like it's one or the other. If you are going to be black ops, it's very rare that that shit gets out unless there is some kind of like pushed in- inquiry or whatever. Otherwise, like. It just gets um, pushed to the realm of conspiracy and hearsay.
2: Yeah. Like, I feel like what leaks there would be would be unbelievably comical. Like, not as in, I don't think it would be the Bob Lazar style ones where he's just like, oh, yeah, no, I work there. Here's all my secrets. I think it would be closer to um, (laughs) these two things that I really like. Uh, One was where Bellingcat, the sort of like citizen journalist organization, uh, Oh, they did both of these actually. One thing they found was they found a bunch of CIA black sites around the world from people's Strava data, so they could find these like so Strava's that um the thing people use for tracking their bike rides and walks. So a bunch of people working at CIA black sites were logging their exercise every day, and it perfectly traced the outlines (laughs) of these uh, like army bases and black sites and stuff. Oh, really? And there was another one where also Bellingcat uh, managed to find a bunch of passwords to, like, CIA and Department of Defense stuff because American contractors and Defense Department personnel were using the beer website Untapped (laughs) to take photos of the beer they were drinking. But they were often doing it in front of computers where they had post-it notes with their passwords written on it. So, like, if the UFO shit came out because some guy is clearly doing laps around this underground UFO that we've got in the hangar somewhere (laughs) doing the same circular route every day, that's how I expect the shit would get out. Not from, like, a guy just being like, oh, yeah, this is everything that happened, and no, they're not going to shoot me in the head. Because if it was real it's america yeah. they're just gonna shoot you in they the head they have no qualms yeah, about doing that whatsoever. Bay exists <laughs> you know? yeah it's all on the record they'd just be like he got hit by a car even though he had seven <laughs> bullet wounds and then everyone be like okay he got
1: hit by three tiny sh- bullet-shaped cars in his temple <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's right like uh yeah i don't think that's why i think a bunch of those people are. doesn't matter how legit they seem or whatever else they're bringing to the table, if there was any chance that they were actually jeopardizing something real, they wouldn't be talking. There's just no way.
1: Ben, let's get to the topic at hand, or the topic at hand, the the subject of today's episode, which is Australia's most famous UFO incident. It is uh, the Westall incident of 1966. Now, as a UFO expert and enthusiast, (laughs) how much do you know about the Westall incident?
2: Um, a, a fair chunk. Oh, I think I no, might have mentioned it. this on... <laughs> this is going to be real boring for you. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I've forgotten all the details, okay. so that's fine. But uh, I, I believe I mentioned this on uh, one of the first episodes we did together, not from this series, but that um, I had seen a talk given at UFO Research Queensland by a gentleman who claimed to be one of the kids oh, from that encounter. Derek Weiss. Uh, oh, is that? Uh, did Cheryl mention him? Uh, yeah,
1: no, but I—I uh, yeah, mean, I might as well tell people we have an interview with someone from UFO research, UFO research Queensland coming up. But um, I—I've done a lot of—I watched a lot of their YouTube videos, and he has spoken a few times. So, so
2: he, um, I, stocky uh, kind of
1: dude, right? Cro- yes, cropped hair, yeah. grey salt and pepper hair. Yeah,
2: I would describe him in those terms. Yeah. I am not convinced uh, by his story. Um, yeah, he had a uh, a flair for the dramatic that I don't think really bore out. Well, let's, but it was very interesting to hear someone talk
1: about. Well, it. I bring him up in my chat with Cheryl, so let's save that because we can discuss at the end. Because I too found it quite interesting. I found his testimony different to everyone else's, and 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 and, and a flair for the dramatic is is an understatement. But uh, let's get <laughs> back to Westall. So at eleven a.m. April 6th, 11 a.m. in Melbourne, um, Westall Hills, uh, sorry, Westall High is located in Melbourne's southeast and approximately 200 students and some teachers witnessed what they described as flying saucers in the sky. So the incident happened with a few students out in the yard, you know, the bell had gone after recess and some kids were inside, some were sort of trailing in. Some kids were still outside and noticed the flying saucers first, and then some kids in the classrooms who were at the window started seeing them too. And so uh, a kid burst into one of the classrooms and said, there's flying saucers in the sky. The teachers tried to keep control, but they could not stop the stampede of somewhere near 300 students <laughs> running outside to look at these flying saucers. Um there are kind of varying reports about how many flying saucers there were. Like it's between one and three, depending on who you speak to. But at least a hundred eyewitnesses say they definitely saw one flying saucer. They described it as being smooth and gray or silver. Um, Sometimes with a purplish hue on the outside, some witnesses say. Uh, Other people say it was without like rivet holes or, or any kind of joinery at all. So it was just completely smooth all the way around. And it resembled, a a saucer with an upside-down teacup on it. So it's that 1950s classic UFO, which I guess in 1966 still would be the predominant popular culture image of what a UFO looked like.
2: Yeah, yeah, that very, like, uh, people that had grown up watching science fiction movies from the 40s and 50s, they were now adults in the 60s.
1: Yeah. So Star Trek's kind of really in in its infancy. It's just sort of started. I guess you got, like, kind of your sexy – Barbarella, Journey to the Center of the Earth, whatever it is, style sci-fi, where you got like, you know, there's always a sexy doctor and a sexy girl yeah, in a minisc- yeah, yeah. silver miniskirt. <laughs> going <in outer> <laughs> the golden age of science fiction, yeah, that's, that's right. right. So the witnesses say um, that it's hovering over the oval, over one of the goalposts. Um, some say the object was silent. Others say it made like a low noise. And uh, the object then rose vertically smoothly and vertically and glided away from the school over to an open field known as a Grange, which is a short distance away. Just, I looked at the map. It looks like it's a couple of blocks from where the school is. So it sets down behind some trees. Now, there was a teacher there on the, out in the playground with the students named Ms. Robbins, um, who stood on the steps of the school with her camera, and she was snapping photos of everything as this was happening. Um, Ignoring the commands of their teachers, three students jumped the fence and sprinted off to the Grange to see where the object had landed. The last girl to arrive says that when she got to the object, it was stationary and hovering just above the grass. Now, again, other reports say that it was sitting on the grass, but there's more than one that says it was hovering above the grass. Uh, She says, then without warning, it rose up vertically, turned on an angle, and shot off at tremendous speed. There are other witnesses who say at that moment, the object was being trailed by conventional airplanes who couldn't keep up. Now I heard one person say like a Cessna and I was like, who the fuck is trying to chase a UFO in a Cessna? like The slowest of all the light aircraft.
2: Yeah. I remember hearing about that actually. When The last time I looked into this, that, uh, yeah, it was just like one guy in a Cessna peeping it out. I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, that's where it gets
2: a bit kind of muddled because
1: there's, yeah, there's some people who say it was one Cessna. There's other people who say it was military aircraft. And, you know, these, details all get sort of muddled uh uh, among each other the thing that makes this kind of like different or, or or more exceptional than other ufo stories is just the sheer number of witnesses now a lot of the way it's been framed in the years since is that it was a bunch of kids and they're normally framed like children as having you know some kind of wild imaginations but These were predominantly like teenagers, form five and, and, you know, around that. So what's that, 14, 15, 16. So it wasn't like they were, you know, like little kids who were having flights of imagination. They're
2: on the cusp of adulthood. Yeah, we're just about to let them drive a car. Yeah. So like, you know, they're not being like, oh, my God, there was a unicorn on one (laughs) of the flying saucers and it's my best friend now. If you said that when you were 15, you get bullied as fuck. (laughs) So
1: one of the girls uh, who made it to the Grange first, her name was Tanya. Um, She was found to be in hysterics, lying on the grass, crying hysterically. So her friend guided her back to the school and uh, the scene has now been overrun with police and members of the military. However, this is a curious fact. People say that the uniforms, uh, back in 1966, Australian military um, personnel would wear just khaki green. But this was being described as being in camouflage, and the officers being in blue uniforms, which is synonymous with American uh, military mm-hmm. officials. What do you think of that, Ben?
2: <laughs> I mean, it's odd. Uh, like, it's also like there's something in um, the way Australians look at themselves that, like, you wouldn't. It wouldn't be the Australian government that was like in charge of UFO shit, you know, like. We don't take ourselves seriously enough to believe that we would be part of the cover-up. If there's some sort of UFO shit happening, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, definitely, American government's all over this. It'd be them, right? Like it just seems to, yeah, I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, because we had military bases. We obviously still have military bases in Australia. And in Melbourne, like I remember my mum talking about she was born in 1937, so, you know, was a toddler sort of when the war was ending and she sort of very clearly remembers going to school and having American – like they had taken over part of their school because it was near a lookout <laughs> point on in the bay. Um, and so the idea that those military connections were formed, they're like, hey, you know, we want to test some uh, prototype a- aircraft. Uh, you've got vast areas of unpopulated desert. Could we build a base out there and keep up the download? That to me – I know we just said – that's the, it's a cop-out to be like, it's like military prototype. But to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that doesn't – I mean, what, what bends credulity is the, the movement of the aircraft, the sort of hovering and, yeah. you know, vertical movement and incredible speeds and, you know, the shape of it and the purple glow and the hum. But all that stuff, you know, I I think could be put down to some kind of, I don't know, like a misremembering of, of things.
2: Yeah, slight embellishments or whatever. It, it also, even if it was like an experimental aircraft they were testing, you probably don't have to do it in the outer suburbs of <laughs> one of Australia's biggest cities. We have well, so much empty space. You could do it just like 50 k's out of Caboolture and I don't reckon it was, like, though.
1: I think this is what my theory is. And th- I've got other theories, but this is my first theory. <laughs> theory one
2: uh-huh.
1: is that they were testing miles from a populated area. Like 66, they could have been in, well... Where would they have been? Somewhere like um, Eltham, or, which is all just like mountains, or the Dandenongs, right? They could have had like a, a base built under a mountain like Dr. Evil or something. Um, and then it got haywire and then shot into a populated area. So I reckon they were testing it away from prying eyes. Westall High is only five kilometres from Morabin Airport, which is like there's you've got Tullamarine and then you've got Essendon in the west and you've got Moorabbin in the east. So... It wouldn't be hard to scramble some aircraft to go chase your wayward UFO, <laughs> I don't think. I mean, from the way it's described by these kids, it, it sounds like the, the accompanying aircraft got there pretty quick, which is strange because if this thing moved as fast as some kids saying it did, like where have these guys, if they're flown from Morabin Airport, like that would have taken, like, a, like it shouldn't have taken that long at all, but they were trailing after this thing unless they flew from somewhere else.
2: But also, I don't know how people would have really cottoned them onto it that fast. It's not like these kids are picking up their fucking iPhones and being like, quick, yeah, call the authorities. There's a guy up there. Well,
1: one of the videos I watched, there's a, a pretty good YouTube doco, well, doco on YouTube called Westall 66. It's like an hour long. Um, and one of the military experts that they speak to, he was the guy who talks about, he was the one who said, well, the, you know the uniforms wouldn't have been camouflage or, or blue he also said that it's very likely that if they were running some kind of operations that they would have had people on standby for this exact event so he thinks they could have scrambled the support mm-hmm. craft quite quickly and also to have all the military and the police come into the school and shut that down that all happened within you know uh and like half an hour of the incident so there was definitely people on standby um tanya the girl who had the hysterical fits. Um, she was placed into an ambulance and, and taken away. And several teachers at the school said that the uniformed officials were in deep consultation with the school's principal. Now, um, the school's principal, his kids have been interviewed. And they said that, like, you know, he was a pretty straight up and down kind of guy, uh, not prone to kind of embellishment or, or believing in in this kind of stuff. Um the media interest obviously was extremely high. Uh, word spread very quickly, and the next day, outlets like Channel Nine were at the school, and they were filming interviews and had a bunch of newspapers and stuff. So at assembly the next day, the students were instructed by the principal not to talk about the incident, saying it had just been a weather balloon, <laughs> which is like
2: love that perfect uh, weather
1: balloon. Uh, like th- that's got to be the most common explanation, right?
2: Yeah, which is for just, everything. Every uh,
1: UFO incident is always a weather balloon.
2: Yeah, well, it was the that was the first explanation put forward um, for the Roswell crash, and it just kind of stuck yeah. in the public consciousness. It's a catch-all.
1: Yeah, um, uh, there were other residents outside of the school who also claimed to see the UFO and had encounters with it. So one guy um, says he saw it like hovering on the road before taking off. All of them had very consistent descriptions of of the of the ship itself. Um, if it was a routine weather balloon, uh, then people went to great lengths to suppress this. You remember I talked about Ms Robbins, who's a teacher who's out snapping photos? Well, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a teacher saw her in an argument with the principal and a military official who didn't just take the film, but they took her camera as well.
2: Have you, um, and I, I hope I'm not getting ahead of you here, but yeah. have you heard of the theory that it's it was a balloon but it wasn't a weather balloon? I th- uh I've got some possible explanations up here maybe I, th- I can't remember yes I think so because this one i find the most tantalizing of all of them uh was that it was actually a balloon that was i want to make sure i've got was this it the, was
1: it a balloon that had a gas canister on top and so it it actually fit with the description of the saucer with the upside down teacup on it
2: i don't know what the the specifics were but the idea it was Put forward by a uh, UFO researcher named Keith Basterfield in 2014, I think he first said this, that he had reason to believe uh, that it was a high altitude balloon used for testing residual radiation levels. Oh,
1: yes, I did. From come the Maralinga
2: that. nuclear test? Yes. <laughs> which, because they hadn't revealed to the public that they'd done those tests, or at least they were worried about what the public perception would be if they were testing radiation in populated areas. I love the idea that it was a balloon, just it was a balloon they were keeping secret for non-alien reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very tantalizing to me.
1: Um, uh, So strangely, uh, select students, the most vocal of the witnesses, were called into the principal's office and they report being interrogated by two government officials who basically told them that they didn't see what they definitely saw. So gaslighting them. Mm-hmm. Then the maker of this documentary, Westall 66, he went to Channel 9 to their archives to try and find the footage of the interviews with the children that were done the next day. And although there is a logging of those interviews, when he opened the film canister. Oh, that's so good. It was empty. Just gone? Gone. The canister there, but not the film.
2: Oh, that seems sloppy, but <laughs> <Why> <laughs> very the good canister? for narrative purposes. Uh,
1: uh, like, yeah. I've never understood in like any kind of like espionage thriller or whatever why people keep copies of the uh, uh, of the uh, the documents or everything that that could be used as proof against them. Just get rid of fucking everything. Don't leave a trace. Yeah, Don't leave a film canister. Thing. Get rid of the logging entry. All of it.
2: Oh man, that's that's really fucking good.
1: Remember Tanya, the girl who's in hysterics. So, Mm -hmm. a few days later, one of her friends went to her house to go see her. Now, Tanya's parents had migrated to Australia from Eastern Europe and spoke next to no English. However, the friend said that when the door was answered, it was by a woman who she'd never seen before who spoke English perfectly. The woman then informed the friend that no Tanya had ever lived at that address. And Tanya and her parents have never been seen again. (laughs) Oh, Poor old, I'm assuming Hungarian, <laughs> Tanya.
2: Christ.
1: Like, that seems a little what bit a traumatic. a day. Your, your parents, probably post-World War II, have moved to Australia for a better life. Your daughter sees a UFO and you get taken away to some black ops site. Awful way. Yeah. Awful way to finish your day.
2: It seems like if everybody else was allowed to live, yeah. <laughs> <like> <laughs> you tenure. could probably- Yeah, that seems like a- That's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Some witnesses
1: also claim that in the following days, crop uh, circle-like rings uh, were left on the Grange by the object, and that officials could be seen with Geiger counters um, before the site was scrubbed. Now, if it was that radiation weather balloon, that probably checks out, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just highly irradiated balloon now.
1: (laughs) Um also the RAAF show no records of any aircraft uh, being on that specific area at 11am on April 6. So what really happened that is the question. So Wikipedia and I'm you know I would say I'm loath to use Wikipedia but it's where I start everything. Yeah, they I mean, have they a have lot a couple of information of right there at your fingertips. So Australian newspaper of the Age described it as a weather balloon, object perhaps a weather balloon an unidentified object seen over the Clayton Morabin area yesterday morning night might have been a weather balloon. Hundreds of children and a number of teachers at Westall School Clayton watched the object during morning break. The Weather Bureau released a balloon at Laverton at 8.30am and the westerly wind blowing at the time could have moved it into the area where the sighting was reported. The newspaper also said a small number of aeroplanes circled around it. However, a check later showed that the RAAF said no pilots had been in the area. According to Keith Basterfield, a runaway balloon from the Highball High Altitude Balloon Project, used to monitor radiation levels after British nuclear testings at Maralinga, is a likely explanation. Basterfield located documents in the National Archives and former Deputy uh, Department of Supply indicating a test balloon launch from Mildura may have blown off course and come down in Clayton South in a paddock near Westall High School, alarming and baffling hundreds of eyewitnesses, including teachers and students. Basterfield said. Highball balloons had a white silver appearance and featured a parachute and gas tube trailing from the top, which is consistent with witness descriptions of the object. There were also reports that after the incident, men in suits cautioned the witness not to discuss the details of the secret government exercise. According to skeptic Brian Dunning, the weather balloon is the likely explanation for the first half of the event. And Dunning suggested a nylon target drogue like a windsock towed by one plane for others to chase down and known to be in use by the local RAAF at the time, was at least one very reasonable po- possibility for the second half. Okay, so to draw the the other plans to show them where the, the balloon had landed, that's, that's probably what was going on there. Um, he finished by saying, descriptions of what has actually been seen have now become diluted with made-up descriptions by an unknown number of students who didn't see anything,
2: and there is no way to know which is which. Part of the balloon thing is, makes a lot of sense to me in that like, you know, a sort of a silvery thing might look like it has a purple sheen to it in, you know, daylight or what have you. If you were expecting something to move like an aircraft and it was sort of randomly moving up and down with the wind, that might be surprising. But also... We kind of intuitively understand how the wind works, yeah <laughs> like if our hair is blowing in the wind and a big object is moving with it, you'd be like that's caught in the wind yeah not the I yeah I mean, like- it doesn't
1: explain the vertical movements no or any of that kind of stuff or the noise or the light or, or any. but that kind of stuff I think is the embellishment that maybe your brain can do if, you know if you're trying to if you are a pattern seeking machine and trying to sort of put these pieces together then, oh, yeah, you start adding details that make it seem, make your story seem more more solid.
2: Yeah. And, like, I can also see a mylar or whatever the fuck it's made out of balloon. If it catches the wind in the right way and it's a strong enough wind, you'll get that sort of humming, resonating oh, yeah. thing that happens. But that's not too crazy to me. No one as exciting as it just being UFOs, though. That, that, I think, might be a touch cooler.
1: Well, Ben, I trust your expertise, but I thought it was best for us to actually uh, go to a, a genuine expert, a UFO researcher. You mentioned her name before, uh, Cheryl Gottschall from UFO Research Queensland, was uh, kind enough to sit down with me, and we had a chat about UFOs and all things Westall. Cheryl, thank you so much uh, for coming on The Unexplained Explained. My first question is, how does someone transition from being just a mere UFO enthusiast to being a UFO researcher?
0: Well, that's a really good question. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> uh, it was a progressive, uh, progressive evolution, I think, because what started off as uh, an interest in the paranormal generally Uh, became more focused actually when I married my first husband and my father-in-law found out he had been a member of uh, UFO Research Queensland and introduced me to some books that were you know sort of catalyzed me into becoming uh, active in the field put it that way.
1: And on average how many calls would you say that UFO Research Queensland gets on gets a week?
0: Oh, um, these days we don't have as many as we did during the nineties. That's for sure. We used to be plagued with reports. One one year we had <laughs> over uh, over eight hundred reports. It was ridiculous. These days we get about one hundred a year. So um, you know, we, we wouldn't. Sometimes we won't get it weekly. We might get a lump of reports. Half a dozen or so will come in, and then we may not get any for a few weeks.
1: I believe you've actually had the first hand experience with UFOs. I did uh, read an interview with you where you described having like a, an encounter with greys. That's Is that right? right? Yes. <laughs> Can you tell us about that?
0: <laughs> I had an experience in 19 around 1990 1991 where um, I woke up in the early hours of the morning and um, there were three small beings standing next to my side of the bed, which was in like a meter space between me and the window. And I could see their silhouette because the streetlight outside was silhouetting them, you know, behind them. And um, I was terrified. I was actually terrified. And I did a very strange thing. I um, lifted the sheet up over my head and began <laughs> to say the Lord's <laughs> Prayer. Where did that come from? Um, and, I, you know, having been a good Sunday school kid, I suppose, I would learnt it but I hadn't recited that since then and it was spontaneous. I had There was no thought about it. And I guess it was like a protective device that my unconscious was trying to use because I felt a great sense of malevolence from these beings coming towards me. And I've often described it as like a, a Bengal tiger sitting, waking up to see it sitting over you with these big fangs and, you know, like dripping saliva waiting to get you. You know, it's terrifying. Uh, and then the next thing I know, the next moment I know, it's morning. I've woken up. I have no memory. And then um, I, just after lunchtime that day, I something triggered my memory and it all came back to me. And I went, whoa, that happened last night. What the heck was that? And I went into denial about that experience for about fifteen years, probably to my great detriment. Um, but it took—that's how long it took me to accept that something actually could have happened. It wasn't an, a dream. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't some sort of strange mental problem that I developed. You know, it was, which is, you know, it's it's coming to the realization of your own experiences and being able to accept them.
1: And so what, you said you're in denial for 15 mm. years. Like that's, what What was it that shook you out of that denial to accept what you had experienced? Uh,
0: speaking to people, listening to their experiences and, and being almost identical, except theirs were greater, you know, like larger mm. and pro- more prolonged. And they'd had more than one. I just had one experience like that I'd seen many UFO have seen many UFOs over time which I mean UFOs that I really can't explain and some of them close up so uh, it was just a a growing experience you know to be able to accept that something strange had happened Uh, and and that just took time for my my worldview to change
1: Uh, well this episode we've been talking about the Westall incident in Melbourne in 1966 what is it about this particular incident that makes it so unique?
0: The Westall, I've actually been there and I've been to the location. Um, I think because of the amount of witnesses, what the children saw, and they've they they are there, they've lived with that for so many years when they came together uh, at the first reunion, which um, Shane Ryan organised, I think, and it was just, their stories were so incredible and very similar and so many of them, you know, over the years is there's a couple of hundred people have come forward and told the same story. So uh, and it fits the pattern of a lot of other schoolyard uh, experiences too that people have had. I mean, a well-known one in South Africa as well so uh, and, and in Wales and other places. So, yeah, it's... It won't die because it's just so, so well uh, documented.
1: Like even sceptics will agree there was something happening that day to have 200 plus witnesses. Like it wasn't a a hoax or a hallucination. I think that has been ruled out. But the exact details of what it was is the interesting part. Now, I watched the interview you did with Derek Wise, is it? Derek Derek Wise? Wise, yeah. Yeah um who was one of the first kids to see it he was the guy who ran into the classroom saying there's flying saucers in the sky but I was interested in that interview because of all the things I'd watched he was the only person that I'd seen who described actually seeing beings on the craft he talked about hooded figures for can you talk a little bit about that
0: which actually which wasn't accepted by the rest of the witnesses unfortunately because no one else had seen them right but he did describe those beings as looking robotic uh, I right. remember that, and um, yeah, because he was the only one who came forward talking about seeing that. Doesn't mean other people did it. It just it just means that, um, you know, when you have a you know a couple of hundred people have reported a story, and then someone introduces a new element, it's not always readily accepted.
2: Oh, well,
1: Cheryl, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We do appreciate your input, and. I've got your number now. So next time I see something in the sky, I'll check the International Space Station status. I'll check the Bureau of Meteorology first. And then if I haven't got that, I'll give you a call. That would be (laughs) great and
0: so (laughs) helpful.
1: Thank you. So interesting revelation. So Derek Weiss, he was the only one that I found, uh, the only witness I found who said that there were occupants of the spaceship. And then Cheryl like added on top of that, that they're potentially robotic.
2: Yeah. My, my recollection of, um, cause I was, I was at that interview with Derek at UFO research Queensland and Cheryl's recollection might well be different, but, uh, that was one of the few times I've been to a, a UFO research Queensland meeting where I could feel the energy in the room was quite skeptical. Like it's usually a very sort of open, uh, well, I mean, it is a very open environment where everybody's sort of understanding everyone's experiences are a little bit different. That one, I just think he he was not a particularly convincing person telling his story and a lot of it seemed to really push it a little too far. Uh, like even his claim that he was the kid that ran into the classroom. Uh, Central, to-
1: Central character syndrome.
2: Yeah, that's, that's been disputed. Like right. uh, a bunch of the other witnesses say that the kid that ran in to tell them what was happening was uh, a female student. Right. And it was not him. But, yeah, I the, the creatures thing is odd. Like I'd done a bunch of research before going to that interview and nobody else mentions it. And you think that would probably stick with people. Yeah. You know? Well, considering how many kids made it to the Grange, like Tanya and and her mates.
1: Like there was a bunch of kids there. And then there was another witness I saw, I read about, who like had a really close encounter, got really close to the ship, managed to walk around it on the road. And he didn't see anything either. I think it would be annoying if you were part of the majority of the the witnesses who were like, you know what, we're we're not 100% embraced by the Australian public. But at least like there is some, you know, they're, they're more inclined to sort of be sympathetic to us and then someone injects an element that just is too far and I just think it, regardless if it's true or not, it just derails like the whole of incident.
2: Yeah, especially one where this is the one where people go, no, this is a daytime thing witnessed by hundreds of different people and then to be like, and, you know, to yes and it and do yeah. something crazier. <laughs> uh, he was just an odd guy. There was a bit in the... Um, in his interview, where he was talking about how he used to live next to the, it's an, it's an air force base in Queensland. It's Amberley, I want to say, um, not that far out of Brisbane, that he used to live right near it, and that there were constantly planes going overhead, and he knew they were watching him. And then someone in the audience was like, "If you think you're being spied on by." the Australian military, why did you live right next to an air base? He was like, oh, it was convenient. <laughs> like, just stuff like that where you're like, I don't, I don't know about this, man. It was, um, Yeah, very odd. Ben, I'm going to
1: call uh, this third meeting of the Northeast Australian Paranormal Society to a close. Um, I think we both uh, are on the same page when it comes to to Westall 66.
2: Yeah, 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 definitely. Something happened no robots. No robots.
1: I like the hooded jackets. That's a nice touch. Like, why does a robot <laughs> need a hooded? <laughs> like a hood at all? It's like just a, just in case it runs. It was Melbourne. I mean, let's yeah. be honest.
2: Four seasons in one day. They've heard the song.
1: <laughs> Don't want to get a chilly robot neck. It's also yeah. funny too, uh, when I looked at all the kind of research, all the photos of West Westall now or South Clayton is where for people who haven't been to Melbourne or don't know the area of southeast Melbourne, it'd be like if Aliens landed in Ramsey Street. It has the same suburban look and feel as Neighbours. Like that's how kind of um, just salt of the earth this alien <laughs> incident was, like unremarkable. Yeah. It, it could have, could have been Ramsey Street for sure.
2: My mum my grew up in Clayton. Uh, oh, really? And I asked her because this happened uh, – around the time that she was born um, and I was like did you ever like obviously you wouldn't have no other kids would have been talking about it because you weren't the right age for that but like did you ever just hear about the ufo incident at all growing up she never had which oh, i thought really? was quite strange so the government cover-up has worked <laughs> apparently at least stopped it from getting to my mum well we'll be back again next week uh,
1: that is if the government doesn't shut down this podcast uh before <laughs> right. then um you can go back and check out our, our, our first two installments which are on the poltergeist and the yaoi um next week will be our last episode for the time being um and uh we hopefully will uh, oh Ben, of course, I forgot to mention, it's the spookiest time of the year. It's Halloween. Happy Halloween. Oh, happy Halloween. Uh, So to everyone out there, enjoy the spooky season. Um, We'll be back next week. I'm Charlie Clawson. And
2: I was Ben McClay. Listener.